Just finished reading a lady book. Yeah? Yeah. A lady book? I mean, it was written by a lady. Oh, okay. It had lady themes, I guess. It was Kitchen by Banana Yoshimoto. Apparently, it's won a bunch of awards and stuff. I think it was written in the 80s, which is very interesting because one of the main characters is transgendered mm. or at the time as uh, they referred to transvestite. Yeah. They were a little harsher back mm-hmm. then. But she, uh, this character had the surgery to become a man to a woman. It's very interesting because of, like, cause I feel like Japan, you don't, because this is set in Tokyo. In Japan, even now, when it comes to, like, gay people and stuff, you don't really hear much about it. Yeah. Seems like that's just something they don't talk about. Like, I don't think it's frowned upon. I just think, don't think they really talk about it. So having a transgender person in the 80s was interesting. But as far as, like, the book, it was just about longing for love or lost love or family and lost family and just a lot of feelings. It was all feelings. So did you enjoy it? Yeah. I was a little confused because I read it and then uh, I went to the last chapter and I didn't understand because they changed the names of the characters or something. I thought it was set in the past and I read the whole thing and then it was like kind of more of a magical realism. And then I re- that, then I was like, this, this doesn't just for that Just for that last chapter? That's what I thought and I looked it up and it was, it was the novel Kitchen, and then they uh, tacked on her oh. novella, oh, okay. which was called uh, Moonshadow, I think, or something. That was really good. That was more like the Japanese fiction I read, like magical realism and stuff. But the Kitchen was just kind of, like I said, like a lady book. Uh, and I just use that term just because like it was about feelings and, uh, I don't know, just a lot of the topics I feel most females tend to, like their writing seems to be more geared toward, at least from what I've read. But it was... It was really good, but I don't. I had to go back because, like I said, how I thought that was another chapter. That means the ending of the book was itself was just kind of like just ended. I went back and I didn't miss anything. I don't know. I just it was, it was weird. Did you go back to Sleeping Beauties yet? No, I'm still hacking away at my uh, graphic novels until uh, the next thing we do. We probably do for the for the podcast. And you're not gonna like this idea. But I almost bought the Maltese Falcon last night on a whim. Okay. Because that's a noir one, but that's the other character. So you had Raymond Chandler's Philip Morrow, and then, uh, what's his name, Sam Spade, I think, the uh, for the Maltese Falcon. Either way, apparently that's really good, but this one has lots of slapping, lots mm. of punching. So, I, oh, and again, all these books are like 200 pages. Yeah. But I think we should still probably do Casino Royale first. Yeah, I just wasn't on... Wasn't because I figured we'd be getting started on that soon. I just wasn't sure when, and I didn't want to get back into like a novel, especially too, especially since I'm still trying to finish my last kind of couple Stephen King novels. Those still are kind of you know six hundred pages, yeah, four to six hundred pages at, at least. So it's like I want to you know wait until I know I have some time to. I'm really enjoying, really... by the way, reading a couple two hundred page novels because yeah. I fly right. I read <laughs> right? this. Like, this one, I really was lackadaisical with my reading. Like, just very mellow and just would pick up the book here and there, read a couple pages. Because it's, like, broken up in a way you can read a couple pages. I Because the, actually, the whole book, including the Velo, was only 155 pages. Oh, wow. So, I could have read that in one sitting, but I, I spread it out and it still only took, like, three or four days. Uh, and I got another short novel coming, and then we do Casino Royale. That's a short novel. I'm enjoying that because I've been reading these long-ass fucking yeah. Moby Dick <laughs> bullshit books. Um, I wanted to ask you... Before I forgot, my sister, and she says she really likes it. She's reading the Stephen King, what's the name? Something of Atlantis. Oh, I think um, it's like a collection of novellas oh, or something. Um, 
City? City of... Oh. I don't think that's it. Oh. Hearts of Atlantis, maybe? Yes, I think it's Hearts of, yeah, Hearts of Atlantis. But uh, she's really enjoying it. and I was, But she said it has a lot of ties to the Dark Tower, so I yeah. probably don't want to just go into that unless I read the Dark Tower. But... I was, I still, because I looked it up and I was still confused. Are is it all one story but broken up into novellas and short stories, or what's? Because I never even heard of that. If I remember correctly, because it's been a while, I think they're all like uh, novellas that uh, I think they kind of loosely. They don't like. I don't think they tie in a way to where if you you if you didn't read one, you couldn't read the other. You can still read them standalone. Yeah, but they are all kind of like because again, like with them tying in with the Dark Tower, it's all the same. Yeah, they all kind of share this kind of weird continuity, shared universe kind of yeah. thing. Because like a lot of stuff that you didn't think that has a tie to the Dark Tower had you know yeah. is. Almost everyone has at least like a slight little nod. It's almost kind of like the um, the not the reasoning or the excuse, but kind of like the or the explanation of kind of where some of the weird, mm. like all of his like weirdness stuff, kind of comes from. I'll tell you what we'll do, Spencer. Just for you, okay. Once I catch up and start reading a couple more Stephen King novels here, all right. We'll do uh, a segment called Stephen King Days. Okay. So maybe like once a month or twice a month, we'll have a separate episode from the show yeah. where we just talk about Stephen mm. King and his work. And uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, see like with the Dark Tower, that would work. But I would say maybe just like five of his novels. Yeah. We won't summarize the novels, really. We'll just talk about like the writing style and things like that. And obviously you'd be yeah. more well versed in that. I, I meant to, uh, I, I was upset with myself because one of my, at, at, your, uh, at your Halloween party, I was like, oh, I have to talk to... Caleb's sister because I yeah. know you keep on talking about her reading the Stephen King because I was gonna you know I was gonna say that um that uh you know we'll have to have her on because you're slacking on your Stephen King you know she would be a better guest because she's ahead of me on that because you know I I think I, like I'm keeping up my end of the bargain because the bargain was you know I go and read some more classic fine literature and then you'd go and dive into the garbage pile of, of Stephen King wait a minute I feel like I've read quite a bit of Stephen King I read like four of his novels last five I think last yeah. year or throughout this year. So that's what we gotta do. We just gotta get you. Like, I just my problem is I'm like you. I want to go in order. Yeah. I don't want to just like I like to start at the beginning. So I'm hitting a couple like the Salem's Lot. I we just did Dracula. Yeah. It's hard for me to get into another vampire book. Now I did skip last year because I before the movies came out I wanted to read uh you know The Shining, Shining and, and Doctor Sleep. So I we'll, will pick we'll, up. We'll get you there. I'll pick up Salem's Lot here. Maybe if uh, to give you a break uh, from the vampire thing, go to um the dead zone. I was thinking the, about that because the dead zone is like one of my favorite. Like, like the Christopher Walken movie. Uh yeah, it was pretty good. I don't know what it. I don't know what about it, but reading it. Like, it's just, like, it, it's in my top five of Stephen King, like, mm. in books. So, like, if you, like, I think that, because then if you read it, that would be a good one for us to discuss, too. Yes. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll put that on my list here in the coming month. We'll see. Since you got your, 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 your big library of Stephen King now digitally. That's nice. That's really nice to have. Like, any Stephen King book I want, it's fucking there! Yeah, we'll get to that. Welcome to the Drunken Pen Riding Podcast.
I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the Cambodian cookie consumer church. Hmm. Eating cookies. Eating cookies. Nom, 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 nom. nom. We devised a new strategy. Strat- strategy. Sometimes you got to slow it down when you can't pronounce the word. Strategy. Um, from now on, or at least for the time being, I have a fancy new globe in the studio. So when I come up with Spencer's name, I'm going to spin the globe and wherever my finger lands, that's where Spencer is from. Because that's the only stupid bit we can maintain for <laughs> 5,000 episodes. It's, I think it's the only bit that the people like. Do they like it? Some probably like it. Yeah. I've been told that the names are the best part of the episode. Oh. Well, <laughs> so. How I feel about that. Sure it's not Surge? Yeah. So Surge wasn't the best, <laughs> best part of the episode? I'm pretty sure. Okay. People didn't. People didn't like the surge that much. So I got this tattoo for nothing. It's a pretty big tattoo. It big takes sur- a, it takes a boost to your back. Yeah, it wraps around to the nips too. With the lightning. Okay. Ooh, we're back to bustle. Bustle.com for this one. We have for you thirteen literary graphic novels for book nerds by Crystal Paul. Uh, this was uh, written in 2016, so there might be some additions, I would imagine, over the... Well, maybe not. The last four years have actually been pretty terrible, so... Yeah. I don't think too much great work has really been released, has there? I can't think of not, anything. Not, like, on that level. I mean, there's been real good comics that's came out, but I don't think any Literary comics? Yeah. I don't even know how you can consider any kind of comics literary, but whatever. Let's, let's find out. Should I read the intro, then, so I can answer your question? Maybe. Let me lower my mic oh, so I can breathe into it harder. <laughs> Through the <clears throat> nose. What's the nose blood? Every reader has their particular taste, and these tend to fall into the recognized story genres. You know, sci-fi, biography, romance, etc. The kind of books you like tends to be... Why can't people just write articles that aren't riddled with grammatical errors? <laughs> Spencer? I can't. I, I will not say a word. The kind of books you like tend to be more about the kind of story it is than anything else. But for some reason, comic books and graphic novels tend to all be categorized together regardless of what kind of story they hold between their covers. Could True. You, could you imagine... Just avoid the article for a second. Could you imagine if you wrote an article, as we have many times, and probably just kind of shit it out. I was like, oh, I got yeah. one deadline. I got to get an article out. And then some guy... Reads it on the most popular writing podcast known Whoa. Whoa. in all of southwestern Pennsylvania. <laughs> and years after it's been written. Years after it's been written and points out the grammatical errors. I didn't actually point out what the grammatical errors I just read through them. But they do they do uh, fuck me up. Yeah. They uh, trip me up and I don't like it. Makes me feel like I'm a fool. See, that, that's where your education gets in the way. If you was a less ed- educated man, you would just be able to read through it without a problem. It would be... If I could just Ron Burgundy and yeah. just fucking read through all the errors. Just read them and, like, and just ignore it. That w- Yeah, that would be good. Also, I feel like this person should be ashamed for having that one grammatical error in this article we're stealing for free. <laughs> how how did, Well, I think if they put it out for free. We can yeah. read it for free. It's not like we profit off of this yet. One day, one day when that surge revenue comes in, we, we might be getting a sponsor. I'll tell you after. I, I'm not going to jinx it, so I'm going to put you. Okay. Uh, put, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to tell you after the podcast is finished about the sponsor. It's not Fleshlight. God damn it. It never is. I just want some free product. <laughs> 
It'll probably like send us like man butts. <laughs> yeah. Like the rubber man butts. That's what we'd get and be like, well, I don't need to use it, but I don't gotta like it. It'd be like those cheap ones that look like, remember like whenever you were a kid and you went to like a, uh, I always remember they had them like on the boats up in Pittsburgh where like, it was just like those squishy things. Oh, like, yeah. They had like the, you know, like the glitter and like the floaty stuff on the inside. Mm. Just give you a cheap one of those. I'll tell you what you do, Spencer. If they send you the man butt and you want to use it, but the visual is fucking you up, it's pretty simple. You, uh, where the testes are, yeah. you draw googly eyes, <laughs> and the, the the member you make it into a big clown nose. So then you're. Well, I don't think you, you. Never, never mind. Just continue. <laughs> Before you have to take all this out. There are plenty of stigmas and misunderstandings about comic books. They're for dorks. <laughs> They're for fucking nerds. Glasses. Who here has glasses? Not me. Who reads comics more than Caleb? Guy with glasses named Spencer. Yeah. They don't actually know you have glasses, do they, the listeners? Uh, I mean, unless if they uh, look on the uh, the my like the profile page on the website. Mm. Look, um, I'm just going to boil this low intro down. Essentially, it's just that uh, there can be comic books that are for adults that have more literary themes. That's it. That doesn't really answer anybody's question. Well, your question. Snobby comic books. Yeah. We don't want to be here all day reading intros. You know we don't like to do that. Yeah. It's already enough effort. I'm going to go ahead and let you read all the titles for mm, these. Nope. You don't You don't want to pronounce the name at least? Uh-uh. I'm going to assume by the cover of this book and the name, this is out of Africa somewhere. So let's see. Number one, and I don't know if this is an order of best to worst, worst to, well, you know. I, I, I think it's probably just 15, or 13. 15, good, yeah. What, I think it's 13. 13, just good, it's a weird you know. number. Could have just stuck with 10 or 15. I think 13. Number one, Aya by Marguerite Ebwe. Set in the 1970s in Yopugan in the Ivory Coast, Aya is a beautiful period piece. Following the joyful lives and hilarious love lives of teenage girls from the titular Yop City, Aya is also a refreshing break from the bleak portraits of African countries that usually win the attentions of the Western world. That's interesting. And uh, just so the people know, if you uh, if you if you see any hear anything that you think is interesting, if you go to this article, they have a link to buy each one of these. I'm gonna put that in the show notes too. So that so that they can't. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. So they, they can't get mad for us using their their website for buy stuff through them. I mean, they just took all these titles and just used it for their game. Yeah. Number two, and this is your favorite, apparently, because you heard mm. of it. Yeah. <laughs> you never that, read it. You heard yeah. of it. Love and Rocket series by Jamie Hernandez, Mario Hernandez, and Gilbert Hernandez. With the Love and Rockets books, the Hernandez brothers have created a whole world in the small town of Palomar. There's world building, and then there's community building. The Hernandez brothers are masters of community building. They tell us the stories of so many members of the Palomar community as their lives progress over generations away from Palomar and within it. It's the universe in a small town. I wonder if that's um, kind of, not based on, but at least uh, they got the idea for that off of like Gabriel Garcia Marquez's work, because he had the... I want to say that 100 Years of Solitude, I think it was about, like, a big family and community. And that kind of goes through, like, everybody's mm, lives. It maybe. sounds kind of like that. It'll be interesting to look into. Uh, number three, Black Sad by Juan Diaz Canales and Juanjo Gordinido. Is it Black Sad or Black Sod? How would you think that was pronounced? 
It's got a cat smoking a cigarette, or is that a doobie? Looks kind of like a doobie. Kind of looks like a doobie. If you're a fan of the likes of Graham Greene and Chester Hines, a die-hard noir lover, then Black Sad will be right up your alley. Don't be discouraged by the fact that all the characters are cats and dogs. It's actually really, really good. And as hard-boiled as they come. Also, the art is incredible. I actually think I want to pick that up. That sounds... That kind of sounds like, um... What was the cat book we read? Captain Ginger? No. The the one where it's like real characters, but they're animals. Something Puss? Puss in Boots? We read? Yeah, for book club. It was about... I mean, I, I don't know if it was noir necessarily. Wasn't it Puss in Boots or something? Snagglepuss? Snag, yeah, uh, Snagglepuss, yeah. Snagglepuss, that was really good. With the the, the playwrights and, uh, yeah. and everything, yeah. I mean, that wasn't a noir, but it had like a noir feel to it, like the art style and stuff, just like the way they were dressed. It was pretty cool. But uh, Well, it had been around the same time as the noirs would have been happening. It, that's just kind of like the yeah. the brighter side of... The noir, more of the time period. Yeah. The now of brown... Hmm... I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. N-A-O. The Now of Brown by Glenn Dillon. Glenn? Is that Glenn with a Y? That's what it appears to be. G-L-Y-N Dillon. If quirky, neurotic... See, quirky, neurotic is what I think of when I think of a guy named Glenn spelled G-L-Y-N. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I mean, just that's weird. I've never seen Glenn like that. I'm assuming that's Glenn. If quirky, neurotic characters dealing with the normal stuff of life is your kind of story, then it doesn't get better than the, no- the Now of Brown. The title character, Now Brown, is an artist suffering from OCD. There's a toy store, a washing machine, repairman, alcoholism, and, of course, awkward romance. It's got all the quirk you could want. That's... I don't think that's up my alley. I don't... Mm. Neurotic fiction is not something I generally... Like Woody Allen. Yeah. People love Woody Allen. I like some of his movies... Well, I like Midnight in Paris. I don't know like Annie Hall. I, I just don't. I'm not a big Woody Allen fan. That neur- neurosis type of humor just doesn't. They, I do love Seinfeld. Yeah, but I feel like Seinfeld wasn't that neurotic. I yeah. mean, it didn't have that like overabundance of fucking Woody Allen nerd. Yeah, creepness because he is a creep. Of course, Seinfeld's kind of a creep too. Isn't he date? He always dating like eighteen year olds. I mean, probably, but yeah. Number five, The Unwritten by Mike Carey and Peter Gross. I really like this cover. I I, uh, I read most of this series. What'd you think? I, I liked it. I'll wait until you read the, read the thing about it. And... Now, here's the comic book for real book nerds. The Unwritten's entire premise is about books. Armed with a wealth of literary knowledge and a bit of magic, the heroes of The Unwritten must navigate a world in which literary characters, folktales, and fables are actually real and infinitely more complicated than the limits of the pages they come from. In this world, it's book nerdery that has the only chance of saving the day. So yeah, it's basically every book nerd's dream come true. So that guy that's on the cover there, his father is like a is like a kind of famous writer. He does he writes a kind of like almost uh, Harry Potter's kind of Series. kind of things like that, and you know about a young boy. And it turns out that the stories are kind of based on him, and it's like it's really it really plays with like what's kind of more real, like reality or these stories that like last for like hundreds of years, and like he goes with in and out of travels with in and out of stories and stuff like that. Like I said I read like the first fifty issues, and then like it, took, it went on hiatus, and then it did like another like ten or twelve issues to like finish it off, and I never got got to, got to that stuff. But I think. I'm, 
There'll probably be something uh, to check out and trade, I think, would be a better yeah. way to to consume that. Yeah, 50 issues is a lot. Well, 50 plus. Ash has been reading a lot of uh, books about books. Like, a lot of fantasy type of books where it deals with characters and fucking libraries and Man. all kinds of stuff like that. And he actually is, uh, I think, yeah, we put the first two installments, at least the first installment of... Uh, his his series called it's a serial series on the site called a night among I've night seen, among stories. I've seen us post it. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think we've done at least two. I, I I've seen at least two. Yeah, and that's about a girl who gets uh, she wants to hide out in a library after close, but then when it closes, like characters and things from the book seem to be coming alive, and they're almost like a night at the museum kind of deal. Yeah, but so but I only like, read the first two so far, and they seem like they're kind of violent. Mm. So makes sense. Next up is number six, Rex Libris by James Turner. That's a cool cover, too. Yeah. He's kind of blocked. It reminds me of like a Samurai Jack kind of animation, like that kind of art, but he's holding a gun. He's got a suit. He looks like he's shooting some kind of octopus thing. And he's reading a book while he's doing it. Yeah, he's shooting an octopus monster. Speaking of heroes armed with books, Rex Libris follow. Oh, Libris. I get it. Spanish for book is Libro. Speaking of heroes armed with books, Rex Libris follows the heroics of a thousand-year-old librarian fighting the forces of ignorance and shushing noisy patrons to the far ends of the universe and back. Okay, so maybe it's not so literary in the traditional sense, but it's definitely book nerd candy. What if, uh, we can do black holes on here? You be mad? I mean, oh, if it's on here? Yeah. I mean... It's considered one of the greatest graphic novels ever written. Good, Good for it. Somebody read it and somebody just did not finish it. The Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Who hasn't read Sandman? We read that just within the year, didn't we? Before no. book club closed, it was yeah. like one of the. But I think I think that one's I think that was like a, at least a year or so ago. I think that one's been. I think we did that first volume a while ago. Yeah, but I don't count between March and September as happening. <laughs> like that just didn't happen. So, even greater candy for the literary minded. Neil Gaiman's take on the Sandman is incredible. He brings the whole pantheon of the Endless to life in this magical series that, like most of Gaiman's work, stands as its own genre, incorporating elements of comedy, romance, fantasy, and even horror. Oh, and of course, loads of literary references and allusions that'll have your book geek meter going off every few pages. Let's say, and you've already read, like, the first volume, right? Yeah. Look, man, I got... I got you see these tombs over here? I gotta get no, to, I'm just saying, you... You see how fucking... Like, Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. Give me a break, man. Like, look, look at that shit. Look at them books. Look at them books. They're, I have so many books that I actually have guardians guarding the books now. Little wood were, figures. I, I've noticed. Maybe if you quit making those figures and did some reading. Shut up. Do both. I'm going to go ahead and say this is Eastern European. Number eight. Unterzach. <laughs> Take two. Unterzach. It could be German. Unterzachen. Or it could be Russian. Unterzachen. U-N-T-E-R-Z-A-K-H-N for anybody who wants to look this title up. Unterzagen by Leela Corman. And there's a lot of, I would say French ladies, but they could be Romanian, but they look French to me. Not for some reason. And it's not because they have like the big noses and the French 20s hairdo and the... Big, wide, dead eyes. Yeah, that's when I think of French women. That's what I think. I don't know why. What is, where did that come from? When did French women ever look like that? But that's definitely, again, could, could be Romanian though because they have dark hair. Touching tragedies that pull at the heartstrings aren't reserved to non-graphic books. 
Leela Corman proves this with her heart-wrenching yet beautiful tale of two sisters growing up in the struggling immigrant community of the Lower East Side of New York in the early 20th century. Oh, man. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, favorite. Oh, come on, man. Hasn't, hasn't Caleb suffered enough this year? Number nine. Frankenstein Alive! Alive! By Steve Niles and Bernie Wrightson. Ooh, I do love me some Bernie Wrightson, though. And uh, Steve Niles, he's the guy who did 30 Days a Night, and he um, he did that uh, adapt- the comic book adaptation of I Am Legend that I let you Ooh. borrow, um, which I don't think you actually read because I Still think... Still sitting over there, yeah. I think. Uh, so you, th- you might actually enjoy this, this, you know, Frankenstein take. Perhaps. Mary Shelley's famous monster gets a second or more like millionth life in this beautifully drawn comic. Starting where Shelley's classic novel leaves off. Okay, sorry, I like this more. <laughs> Frankenstein alive, alive, indeed declares Frankenstein's monster very much alive. But unlike other adaptations of Frankenstein, the monster in this comic adaptation is very much the sensitive thinking creature of Shelley's original. Okay, that I could be down for if there's no Victor Frankenstein and his fainting spells. Yeah. If, I, if we're beyond that and we could just get to some Frankenstein monster action, I'll be all right. Give the guy a fucking name. Come on. If, he, if he's such a sensitive talking being who's only murdered 10 people, he could be a fucking... He doesn't have to be Frankenstein's... Why Why is he got to be a monster? Just because he's a little disfigured. Can't he just be Frank? He could be Frankie. Well, Frankie. Frankie! Come on, Frankie! Here's another gripe with Frankenstein I have. <laughs> if And this goes with the actual story. If you are going to reanimate a cobbled-together corpse... Why make him some gigantic buff monster that can destroy it's that, you? It's that small. Start with a fucking animal, like a rat or something, and then maybe oh. work your way up small child. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, the, you know, the kids uh, were dying left and right back then. Like, yeah. Baby parts are a plenty. Well, you think, wouldn't it have just been easier to try to, like, just reanimate a guy that just died instead of a guy like parts from people yeah like just get a dude who just croaked that was a street bump or murder somebody and then reanimate him don't don't fucking cobble together that wouldn't even work yeah because you know there's tendons and like how you gonna get two matching arms and legs come on man come on man how you gonna get like thing yeah like how you gonna i don't hmm. uh, we're done with frankenstein number 10 Incognito by Matt Johnson and Warren Please. This is a really cool cover. It's like a newspaper with like a, I'm assuming a 20s or 30s gentleman. Nice mustache. He does. He kind of got that. Uh, who was the dude that did the uh, little bit of Monica's all on the Mamba oh, number five? Lou Vega. Yeah. He's got the Lou Vega mustache. Incognito is one of those brilliant stories that crosses genres and incorporates the best parts of them. Part mystery. Part historical drama, Incognito takes one of the most thrilling looks at racial passing you'll see in literature. The story follows a black reporter who risked his life by passing as white in the South in order to expose the horrors of lynching. Now, how does that work? Maybe he was like light skin and maybe that that actually sounds pretty cool. I might have to check that out. How come I never see these books anywhere, Spencer? I see Sam, man, but I don't see most of these books on the shelves at Collins. Do you go looking? No. Yeah. Don't go looking. Even if I did, I wouldn't remember. You're <laughs> right. That's the problem. <laughs> Number 11, Mr. Mendoza's Paintbrush by Luis Alberto Orea and Christopher Cardinale. Mr. Mendoza's That's a cool picture, too. Oh, that's a cool cover. Yeah, I like that. It's like a, a lot of old stylish men in 20s garb. This looks a little older. This looks more like uh, late 1800s garb. And he's got a, a paintbrush, it seems, and... 
So we got here. If you thought magical realism was squarely out of the realm of comic books, you've got another thing coming with Mr. Mendoza's paintbrush. Why would it be out of the realm of comic books? Mm, yeah. You can I, literally do anything. I could I can almost see magical realism starting from comic books yeah. and then moving its way to literary fiction. Adapted from a short story of the same name, the magical tale Mr. Mendoza's liter literally painting the town translates beautifully into graphic form. Yeah, that does sound like that would probably work better because you could probably have it black and white and then yeah. slowly bringing light color to the the world. Interesting choice here. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of surprised when I saw this. Number 12, X-23 by Marjorie Liu. And is that the title of this volume, The Killing Dream? Um, I assume so, yeah. X-23 would be the character, right? Not yes, the, not the, yes. Not the, the name here. Superhero stories can't be discounted entirely. Marjorie Liu's run on X-23 is just one proof that superhero stories can be just as literary or serious as any story. The story of this young mutant assassin is a tragic tale of a young woman trying to come to terms with a violent past that isolates her from other kids her age and find a small piece of normalcy. The writing is lyrical and the story is a human one, despite the mutant healing factor and adamantium claws. I feel like even just Wolverine was always kind of like that. Yeah. Like, you, there's a lot of stories. Well, X-Men especially. I mean, like Magneto with the Holocaust, uh the whole civil rights movement aspect of like the X-Men. Like there's always literary canon that could be found in the oh, X-Men comics. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's uh one of the main uh reasons that they think especially back in the day where X-Men kind of got popular is because it was kind of like this allegory for people of different races, you know, people of different sex, you know, orientations, mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? Not that, being accepted in society. Yeah, always being, you know, look just because you're different, like, you know. I mean, if you look at Marvel Comics in general, they always had those things, like the Hulk, you know, man dealing with anger issues and the monster that lurks within. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man, you know, a story of adolescence and loss with Uncle Ben and his family. Yeah. And the responsibility heaved on someone at a young age. I mean, even like the Fantastic Four, you have the Thing who's, I mean, obviously in the comics it varies, but permanently a rock monster yeah. is the main canon. Um, so he, you know, he can't have a normal life. Well, that goes with a lot of the superheroes. They can't have a normal life anymore. Iron Man with alcoholism. Like there's, yeah, there's a lot. The comics are just riddled with literary themes and topics. Number 13, The Color of Earth by Don Hua Kim. What's that? You want a love story? Well, look no further. Oh, I've got an ad popped right up. What's that? You want a love story? Well, look no further. The Color of Earth is a beautiful coming-of-age story of a lonely, lonely young woman in rural Korea learning what it is to love and be loved. Sounds like the book I just read. Yeah. Kind of. So any of those you want to check out? I want to read that Incognito book. Yeah. And the, uh... What was that other one we saw that I thought looked really uh, cool? Oh, the... The, the noir one. Yeah, or even the Rex. Um... Oh, I would like to read the unwritten, too. Yeah. That's a, that's a big series. Black Sad was the uh, the noir one. Love and Rockets, that just, that kind of goes with the unwritten, might just be a little too long for my, yeah, like, too much. Like, I don't want to, because if I'm going graphic novel and stuff, I usually read those because I want a quick, like, maybe yeah. not a quick read, might even take a week to read it. But I want something that's just one and done. That or like that or if it is something, it's like it's like three or four volumes. That's it. Very contained, you know. Mm. Something like because like I think like Sandman's like like uh, nine or ten, depending on how you know they decide to package up the you know the trades. You know? Right. So yeah, that it, Aya story, uh, that Aya graphic novel, I'd like to read too. Yeah, there's a um, 
There's a couple on here that seem like they could be pretty pretty interesting. Well, I mean, if we just... we got a couple minutes left here. I mean, I think we talked about this with Watchmen before, maybe even some of Frank Miller stuff, where when do comics kind of become a literary... more literary than they are comic book? Yeah. Um, like Watchmen, I would say that would definitely be literary fiction, just in comic book form. And then, which is a strange one because, you know, it's superheroes and stuff. Usually superhero ones are the ones where it's really more – it's more difficult to have like a literary fiction flair to yeah. it even if you write it that way. It's still guys in tights. Or big blue dicks in this in this case. Big blue dicks. Well, you mentioned Swamp Thing before. Would be would you consider that something that would uh, – I would think so because – At least certain runs of it. Because, well, yeah, especially like the – Alan Moore run because you know it does he he dives really into like you know different like spiritual mm. aspects and the the green and just like you know and all that kind of like you know weirdness that that Alan Moore does mm-hmm. so I would definitely I would I would say that at least his his run on on Swamp Thing you could probably throw in there I think at this point in the game it's kind of irresponsible to just lump comic books as a medium. Uh, lesser than literary fiction because I've read many comics that I would consider definitely way more literary than a lot of genre fiction yeah. a lot of uh, like sci-fi novels or just things that are for fun just because it has fucking pictures yeah like that, that's stupid and uh, and just even too like we've been talking about uh, we've been trying to get you a copy of the Slatterhouse 5 graphic yeah. novel that they just put out like I think if they did that more mm. I think those would could be really worked even really well because I think like even like because like we've talked before about like you know literature has this bag of being like this snuffy like you know even if you highbrow yeah, dry because boring I think, reads. Like, even if you took like those stories that took place in like those old timey horse and buggy like but like that drawn though like mm. that that engages the person more it helps you know what I mean you don't, you don't you don't have to spend five pages reading about the fluffy yeah fur on some lady's dress where you can just see it. Well, imagine like a Don Quixote adventure in comic form, or uh, Three Musketeers would be obviously an awesome one. Phil Loathing in Las Vegas. Could you imagine that yeah. in a graphic novel? Well, like Slaughterhouse Five is just a great example because Slaughterhouse Five is about World War One, space aliens, and time travel, yeah. all wrapped into one story. That sounds like that should be genre fiction mm. hardcore, but yeah. it's not. Perfect for comic book form. Even something like that you consider dry, like War and Peace or Anna Karenina, you could probably get audiences interested in that story again by putting it in a comic form. And what I don't, what I'm surprised I don't see more is like a lot of like the old like Greek and Roman mythology, like yeah, you know especially because I mean? those are free. Like, yeah, that's public domain. I mean, yeah, like like uh, you know, like I would be, you know, in like an Odyssey, you know, Jason and the Argonauts would be pretty cool. Like you know what I mean? Like all that stuff would, you know, I think would sell okay. I think the main problem is uh, most comic book writers want to re- like a Neil Gaiman with the Norse mythology. They want to rewrite, not necessarily rewrite the stories, but make them in their their kind of image. Yeah. Like they want to make it original, like, at least the more original while using the source material. And I think uh, with the Greek mythology, it's so ingrained in culture that people don't want to, like, change the story of the Minotaur or anything. They don't want to change it because then people might get mad. You know what would probably be better in, in, in comic book form? King Arthur. I would read the fuck out of a King Arthur comic because the questing would be visual. <laughs> yeah. 
I would be able to see, oh, this is what the Duke of whatever, the, <laughs> the King of Lot and the King of Karganen and the King of Fuckface. Like, you could see them and then you could actually distinguish them. You know what? I'm kind of mad. Just another author, right? Is, you know, and it sucks too because. Is Arthur the, your Frankenstein? Maybe. Until you read Frankenstein. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I think we also got cheated out because with him, with the writer dying before finishing, like, because I was just listening to a uh, a Myth and Legend podcast and they were talking about the, the author story where Merlin turns Arthur into a fish. Oh, yeah. And, you, you know, we don't get that. You know, we miss out on a lot of that kind of, you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that is also a part of, like, why maybe we need to find a different version of Arthur. The original version? That's oh. not Steinbeck's first draft that yeah. wasn't completed? Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, something like I that. I feel like when you read Steinbeck's first draft <laughs> that wasn't completed, maybe it's not going to be as fucking punchy and fun as it <laughs> would be if yeah. it was finished. Yeah. I got the whole King Arthur collection right there. Yeah, well, yeah, it's going to stay there. Should I do a live reading of that? <laughs> yes, yes, get it, break it out now, good uh, sir. All right, entertain the folks for a minute. I'm oh. doing it. He's good, sir. He's uh, he's looking for the book. He's having trouble because he's old. Ah, he can't it's see. It's purple. <laughs> the story of King Arthur and the Knights by Howard. This is by Howard Pyle. So fuck who that is one of the guys who wrote King Arthur stories I'm just gonna open and read and this is how we end the episode mm. do you want no as <laughs> soon as I open the book it goes right to Surge I'm gonna skip that page sorry folks at least it wasn't as intense as I expected what if that was a curse every book you open just had Surge quotes like you could never read again just always like you read a comic and every person would just had surge dialogue. It's like those it's like those annoying cards when you open up and they start to sing <laughs> every time you open up a book. <laughs> Let's see, what do we got? What do we got? What do we got? Is there a beginning to a story? Uh nah, fuck that. That's in no. Italics. I'm not reading that. I'll just start I'll just randomly pick a spot. To this the gardener's boy made reply, Sir Knight, that haply shall lie unto another within thine for the determine, for maybe I shall eat many other meals than this, and maybe ye shall serve as them as ye are serving me now. And those four lords were astonished beyond measure that he should bespeak them thus so calmly and without any appearance of fear. Then, after he had eaten, the gardener's boy said unto those knights, Behold, messires, I have had enough and am done, and now I have other commands for you to fulfill. And my next command is that ye shall make ready straightway to go abroad with me, and to that end ye shall clothe yourself with... That's actually really hard to read. There's a lot of a lot of ease on those words. A lot of ease that don't need to be there. So maybe, like, you know, because they're like, oh, back during, like, you know, them times, like, you know, reading, like, a lot of people didn't know how to read. Maybe because reading was fucking hard. <laughs> like, why is there so many E's added to shit? Um, yeah, they definitely added a lot of extra <laughs> like, letters. words are difficult back then, like. And the order of them was <laughs> bizarre. Here, I'm going to go to one with names, because I know you like names. This is what we'll end the episode on. By the way, obviously, we should probably be reading, like, a kid's version of King Arthur. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would probably be the best version for us. <laughs> That's why I thought John Steinbeck would work. <laughs> By the way, when he put the actual, like, when he would have just the single sentences of the actual writing style yeah. on, like, the opening of some of them, good lord, everything was with Ys. Ugh. I guess they didn't have eyes back then. <laughs> it's terrible. Then the lady Etard came to Sir Gawain and gave him her hand, and he kneeled down and set it to his lips. 
and the lady bespoke him very graciously, saying, Sir Knight, it would give me great pleasure. <laughs> it would give me a great deal of pleasure if thou wouldst make us acquainted with my thy name, and if thou wouldst proclaim thy decree of estate unto us, Sir Good. Oh. oh, that was hard. The thighs fucking me up too. Why could it just? Why? The highs and knees and Gwen. I never did get his name right. Um. So if you folks want to listen to a whole five-hour-long rendition of me reading King Arthur stories, sign up for our Patreon. It doesn't exist. We didn't get around to that. No. It's a lot of work. That Mythin Podcast. They have just a membership thing on their website. I wonder how you do that. Let me go look into that. Um. Anyway, you can go to our website at drunkenpenwriting.com. We got. I don't know. Trying to slow down now. We had a lot of stories. Now we maybe just ease back a little. We got some stories still coming, though. I didn't put out yet. I just didn't mm. get to them. Oh, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Drunk Pen Writing, Instagram and Facebook at Drunk Pen Writing, and uh, Spencer likes manbutttoys.com. Whoa. 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 Dot what? With googly eyes.com. <laughs> Com. That's how they pronounce it, King Arthur. 